Okay, okay, here we go. Just stop where you are. Let's pray, and then we'll, there's so many things to talk about. Here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Almighty God, who set your Son over the works of the wind and the sea and all the earth, that all the cosmos must obey him. We pray now, extend your power that your kingdom grows, that your word has free reign, and that all creation is delivered into the glorious liberty of being your children. Uh, let's see. First, um, you know, in the good old days, does anybody know where that, that little pad we sent around last week to sign up? There was like an iPad or a Kindle that we sent around to, um, for you to sign up. Apparently, one of you stole it. So this is the thing. I had this, no, no lie, before we ever moved in, I had this idea that we wouldn't print bulletins here, that we would give everybody a Kindle when we came in. And the two things that we were worried about was, one, you'd play Frogger through the sermon, and two... You would steal them. And I guess now we gave you one and you stole the only one we have. So I guess the experiment is off, right? No. So you're saying you stole it. Oh, okay. It's more fun if I accuse them of something and then they repent. See, this is like, it's more fun that way. All right, so uh, we have, we have, Thanks. You've repented, and the Kindle thing is back on. Um, now, uh, the vicar can go get it. Uh, sign up for the men's retreat. There's about 50 guys signed up. You know, we, only ha- we always have about 75 or 80, but you always wait till the last second to sign up. So sign up now. Sign up your friends. Sign up everybody you know. We'd like to push our numbers up and good look in the synodical books, okay? So sign up. It'll be good for us. Um, if you want to stay overnight, make sure you get a room, blah, blah, bring your friends. It'll be fun. The guy's actually very popular. I, I just saw these slotted in for Camp Arcadia this summer. So you're, on, you're just on the front edge of everything cool in the world. Um, the Christianity Today article is still there, but pretty much after next week we'll be bundling up. Okay, that's the first thing. Um, we sent $6,000 to Russia for their summer camp this week. Um, they're not having to read us. You remember, the la- remember they've had orienteering where they take like 150 kids out into the Siberian wilderness and get them lost. And then one summer was repelling and spelunking, right? So, I mean, we have, really, we have VBS. They crawl around in caves where they could get stuck. This year, they're having a bike race between all their parishes, like 350 kilometers. Now, f- for my money, it would be good not only that we support this, but that we actually sponsor... Uh, um, Nyquist and uh, Yonkers to go race in this bike race on behalf of St. John. You know, it'll probably work if you're not shot, or you realize there's no medical care if you go down. You have to bring your own supplies. So I guess Neosporin and anything more than that? Tape. By the side of the road, right? Yeah. Tape would be good. Probably tape would be good, right? So anyway, uh, the put money in the basket. That'll go to Russia today. All right. So we gotta, you know, we gotta catch up. We were a little short on money, but we sent it, and we knew you'd give it. So it's all good. All right. Um, oh, it's completely level. Don't worry. It'd be like it's like riding down First Avenue in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. What's going on in here today? What's going on? What's going on in here? We've been, we've been trying to get the microphone to work. It was popping like crazy yesterday, so they did some surgery. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Take poinsettias home. It is not Christmas. And that means, uh, I think the deal is if you paid kindly for a poinsettia before Christmas, we now resent you because they're still here. So take, <laughs> take five or six poinsettias home today. Take them away. You joy goopers, we were supposed to tell you on Wednesday. We didn't tell you. 
So you can leave three minutes early. Kind of like when I was in high school football, they used to let the sophomores go early because they knew what the seniors and juniors would do to us if they caught us in the locker room. So it's a little like that, okay? Apparently you didn't go to the same high school I did. <laughs> All right, and then um, the time and talent dealio is coming up on the 12th of February, is that right? Is that right, 12th? 12th, so in a couple of weeks. So on the, on the Saturday when we have uh, the men's retreat, then the next day is the time and talent thing. Come, find your spot, meet some people, have fun with all the things that are going on, on and on and on like that. So it should be fun. Please come. Uh, are there going to be treats at the time and talent thing? Yes. Really? Look at you, thinking of everything. Mary is in charge. Raise your hand, Mary, in case people want to wanna need a booth or anything like that, right? That would be fun. Have a go, right? It's all good. You're a wonderful person. All right. All of that this week. Anything else going on? Look how many things we solved. The microphone doesn't crack. All theft has been for, forgiven, repented of and forgiven. And, you know, Nyquist has gone to Russia. It's beautiful, all right? It's beautiful. We're their best friends now, so you got nothing to worry about, right? Exactly right. All right, questions about anything? All right, there's so many iterations of what we're doing, partly because I felt guilty about reprinting this over and over again. But we'll move, uh, hopefully we'll get to the angels and maybe a little bit of Jesus, but at least put some questions out there. But, you know, if you have it, um, I think I might have, where did I start the second one? Was it like 11 or something? Anyway, the whole point of this is, I hope you were good to your guardian angel this week. Uh, that brilliant question about should we talk to him. I've been talking to mine all week just as an experiment. You know, so we'll see what happens. I'm significantly better than I was last week, as you can tell. So, you know, I think it's all, it's all working out for me. Uh, just remember that the angels are your allies. And we're going to read a couple of texts where you're going to see, you know, there's this battle going around all around you. But um, they help us. They console us. They give us messages. They protect us. They pray for us all day long. They serve us. And, um, you know, the tradition in the church is someday when they die, when you die, they carry you, <coughs> protect you on your way to heaven. So we'll, we'll talk about why people think that in just a second. But the basic word angel, as you know, um, means messenger. It's tied to the word for the gospel. Uh, angelos is, uh, you know, you can hear it, angelos is, is uh, the way of messenger. And oingelion or oingelion is the word for the gospel. So, you know, the messenger and the message kind of fit together. And um, I'm, I, I sort of, uh, what number did I start on the one I candid you out with? This is, this is this one, 11. Okay, so then I'm all, I've already turned the page on you. Um, on 13, you remember how we, you know, the way that we normally, you know, the Baroque angel's a little small and slightly weak, um, childish, if you will. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, one, of the, one of the great things is that the, the warriors are angels. They they execute a fair bit of protection, even judgment. And you can see that in how people represent them. You know, do they have wings or not? Some of them do. But, you know, at least when they appear to us, uh, be, why? They need to move around. You get the sense of speed and urgency. Um, you also have this notion of multiple faces and multiple eyes. So they can look, for example, I, I reread the text this morning. It's interesting how people interpret things, but, you know, the, the text in Genesis says that when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, an angel was at the door who, um, I think it says, had a sword in every direction, right? So how do people think about that? Well, he can see in all the directions at one time. Uh, so uh, this is also, in a second, why you have four faces on your lectern, right? But we'll just kind of keep going. They do God's work. 
and they do God's work for you. So all the way to 16, that the angels pray for you is really a remarkable thing. The older I get, you know, the more I realize the weakness and distraction of my own prayers, and the more I'm happy about the prayers that are in front of me by people who are really good at what they were doing. But it's easy to be distracted. It's easy to lose discipline. It's easy to fail. It's easy to forget. And yet you can imagine what it's like for someone who's perfect to pray for you all the time. And so this notion that the angels are always praying for your salvation is very, very nice. I gave you a couple of places. Um, Actually, I'm going to spin to this one in Revelation because it goes very nicely with the notion of using incense in church. Um, you know, Some of these things that seem odd to us at first, and then we start to do them, and now you can hardly live without them. I, was, um, I went to a symposia two weeks ago at the seminary in Fort Wayne, and I taught last week at the seminary in Fort Wayne. Both times I was happy that they uh, had sensed the building. That's a new thing for me, at least there. And I asked Arthur about it. Arthur Jesse said, yeah, they'd like the sensor, and they put it by the air intake so nobody sees it, but they're still, you know, affected. <laughs> it's kind of like it's baby steps, baby steps, right? What about Bob? So, um, you know, Revelation, uh, in Revelation 8, right, um, they're talking about the seventh seal gets opened, and there's a lot of smoke. So, verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to mingle. I can remember times of holidays where I say to the vicars, you need enough smoke to make me disappear. right? Because they're always, they're always worried there'll be too much smoke. As if you can use enough smoke to make me disappear. So um, he was given much incense to mingle with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. So isn't that nice? So when you pray that my prayers arise before you as incense, the lifting up of our hands in the evening sacrifice, the psalms, and also for vespers, that my prayers rise before you as incense. So here's what happens. When you pray, your prayers float up to heaven, and an angel senses your prayers, and now your prayers make heaven smell good, right? And they say, look, those folks from St. John are praying again with us. And they love you for praying as much as we love them. We love them because they pray for us, and they love us right back. One church, you know, angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, this is one of the places happened. not just at the Eucharist, but also when we pray. I mean, here it is right here. This is what happens. A lot of incense, and the angel of, uh, I'm sorry, um, and the smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel before God. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar and he throws it upon the earth. There was peals of lightning and thunder and all of that, right? But you're, I mean, you should think to yourself, heaven smells good. You remember Isaiah 6? You know, the angel comes and he takes the coals and he says there's much smoke in heaven, right? Yeah, it's not because heaven is on a forest fire. It's because it's church. There's incense going on. So um, the angels pray for you and this is, The most Lutheran of all things. There it is in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession. We grant that the angels pray for us, for there's a testimony in Zechariah where the angel prays, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? So the angels are praying, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. Regularly when I pray for you, I don't actually know what to pray for you or my kids or my wife. I don't really know what to pray always. But I always pray that God would have mercy on you that God wouldn't deal with you according to how you deserve. You should pray the same way for me. Here's the thing. That's how the angels are praying too. 
The angels are praying that God won't deal with me according to who I am and what I've done. The angels are praying that God would deal mercifully with me, that he'd give me what I don't deserve. So I flip the page. The angels in heaven pray for us as Christ does himself. You can imagine, this is the only reason we survive. Once you begin to embrace the transcendent, um, I had dinner with um, Alexei Stroltsev when I was in Fort Wayne with Alexei Stroltsev, the rector of the seminary, and Peter Skayer, young, good professor, and uh, Bill Weinrich, an old man. Bill Weinrich's probably, you know, one of the two or three, four smartest guys I've ever met. And, um, you know, he sort, of, he sort of gave us the old man's view. I don't know, he must be 75, 72, you know. He's wearing down a bit, but he's still a genius, especially in the way that he can say really complicated things very easily. But, you know, he sort of winces as he talks about how we've lost all sense of a transcendent world. But as soon as you, transcendent just means there's another world beyond us or that our world is wrapped within a bigger world, right? We, this is the square on the board. We don't just end with what we can see. The world goes far beyond what we can see, what we can prove. The world goes far. As soon as you embrace that, this world becomes a very rich and wonderful place, right? And among the things that's happening in the earth embraced in the heavens, remember we did this about, it's another way to say, our space embraced by God's space, is that the angels and Christ himself are praying for you. You love this. I mean, Romans 8, where Christ and the Holy Spirit with sighs too deep for words, pray for us so that all things can work together for the good of those who love him. So the Holy Spirit prays for you. Jesus himself prays for you. The angels pray for you. Let's face it, we're the weak link in this, right? I mean, we're the weak link. Everybody else is working hard for us. You know, we never stop being children in this way. As old as we are, as mature as we get, we never stop being children because we never sort of come to what we were always meant to be, what Adam and Eve were, fully human in, 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 in Eden. We never come to that in this life. So, by the way, Buke's sermon was genius this morning. And, um, you know, part of that answer is um, what Jesus spoke about in the Beatitudes is confirmed and perfected when you get to heaven. So, and they're very happy when you get saved. You remember... Um, the angels rejoice when a little one comes, says Jesus. Right? It, the angels are happy. So in the church, you then have this happiness. You know a couple of angels by name, and they do different things. So I just give you a couple here. Um, St. Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel means man of God, and he's the one who is always consoling. So Daniel is distraught because he has visions that he can't understand. And Zechariah you know, sees an angel by the altar and then is struck dumb because he won't believe it. He can't speak until he writes, his name will be called John. The people say, you don't have anybody named John in your family. And he can speak and say what it was about with this angel. And of course then, um, Gabriel to Mary. You know, the great working out of your salvation and mine. Where she was afraid and, um, and not afraid. By the way, um, I was just thinking, I was talking to, the, I don't know, we were talking, wherever we talk about a lot of stuff, but, one of the things I forgot to say to you is one of the classic ways to distinguish whether you're engaged by a demon or an angel is a demon initially comforts and then terrifies, and an angel, a good angel, initially terrifies and then comforts. Kind of a rule of thumb, right? So if you read scripture, you'll see that when good angels appear, people are initially just so off balance. Even the Blessed Virgin Mother, and 
And they, they have to, they're initially off balance, and then don't be afraid, this is going to be great, right? Where the temptation of a demon often works the other way. This is how kids get involved in witchcraft, or people, even the notion of white witches, right? You think, that this whole, when I was a vicar in Evanston, I did campus ministry at Northwestern, and there was this group of very nice young Lutheran women who were really given or beginning to creep into white witchcraft. And one of the hardest things with them is to try to explain to them that this is an oxymoron. I mean, there isn't any such, there's no such thing as a white witch, right? They don't go together. Because witchcraft always manipulates the cosmos in the place of God, right? So it always seems like it's very interesting. This This is just like your other sins, right? It's just like your other sins, gossip, lust. You know, they all seem like they're going to work out. And then that great thing from Kapan, but you wake up the next morning and it's like putting your nose in a slicer, right? So um, the good news is, is that, that, that eventually you get this consolation. So Gabriel is the one who always comes with this sort of helpful joyfulness. Um, St. Michael, on the other hand, is this warrior and you can, I've given you lots of places you can read, but he regularly protects Israel and executes judgment against enemies. And then also this very odd bit from Jude where he talks about um, the contention over Moses' body. And this is where, now this should be a consoling thing to you, this is where the tradition of the church comes from, that the angels escort you to heaven uh, and so you can't be lost. I think I told you last time, my, for whatever reason, my grandmother, who was you know, forever in the church, was quite tortured near her death by what she described as the demonic and darkness. And it was very sad because she was sort of you know, in bed, un, you know, semi-conscious. And you can't ever tell exactly what's going on, and all you can do is console people and pray for them. But you know, one of the good things you can say is that the angels care for us. So Jude, which is way near the end of your Bible, right? Um, you know, five and nine. So, now I desire to remind you, though you were once for all fully informed, um, that he who saved his people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Am I in the right place? Sorry? Oh, yeah, so go down to nine. So he starts to talk about Moses. But then, uh, verse nine, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, disputed about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a reviling judgment upon him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. In that one sentence, you learn about nine things about how you live your life. So one is, you're going to be attacked by evil. Two is, you don't try to make it on your own. Three is, the angels are protecting you, even at the point of death, even your body, so that it can be resurrected someday and restored. And last, you know, you never sort of go at the demons directly, because you're not, you're not big and tough enough for that. You're not smart enough for that. But he did, and even the angel, right? Even the archangel, even the archangel doesn't, doesn't go, go toe-to-toe in this case. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. It's his business to rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. I'm working for him. The Lord rebuke you. Which for you is a great thing to say in the face of any evil. The Lord rebuke you. Right? So there it is. Um, you know, Jude uh, verse, verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, so you know that there are archangels. There are 
angels and archangels in the company of heaven. We're going to go through those in a little bit. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, right? So he's, he's a warrior, um, disputed about the body of Moses. This is very cryptic, right? How does this exactly happen? What's exactly going on? Well, all you need to know is that the Lord is always for you, you know, right down to your dead body. He did not presume to pronounce a reviling judgment against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. It's extraordinarily consoling, right? This is why, um, especially for the pastor's kids here, I always try to bless the pastor's kids um, at the altar by saying, um, the Lord send his angels to protect you and your family from the evil one. Because I know, um, you know, the other guys are great, so that means that the next thing that will happen is that their wives and children will be attacked. Right? And then next in line are the elders and the governing board. Right? That's just how it works. Right? If I really don't like somebody, I ask them to be on the governing board. <laughs> They'll get theirs eventually. Right? It'll come to them. So, um, and you can in the same way bless your children. You know, you can bless your children. They belong to you. Fourth commandment. The Lord bless you and his angels keep you safe from the evil one. Right? It's part of your fourth commandment responsibility. <laughs> So there's great consolation in this. The Gabriel is on the move to console people. St. Michael, it's why you have St. Michael Catholic Church. I mean, go by and look at him. He's standing out front with a sword. It's very consoling. The first term at Cambridge is Michaelmas, the mass for St. Michael. It comes, um, St. Michael and all angels, I think, is September 29th, right? We celebrate it when it comes up. We rejoice. This is all the reasons to rejoice in the angels because it's one more way that God helps you. It's really, really nice. And then you also have one more name, St. Raphael, who's been a healer. Yes? It's Satan and his angels. Yeah, right, absolutely. In Revelation, you, you can, and you, can, so you have to sort of trace this through. It gets a little cryptic. You know, this is where Satan falls like lightning from heaven, and sort of, he's sort of the, the dragon and the woman. You have to kind of put the pieces together. The problem is um, we put those pieces together too well, and we don't really pay attention to the other pieces. And that's why I want to try to, you know, I want to try to convince you, um, you all grew up, especially if you grew up around Wheaton, that the whole message of, of Revelation was the lake of fire. The whole message of Revelation is go to church in the midst of a universe that is often like a lake of fire. And someday the Lord is just going to square it all up at the end. It's so beautiful at the end where he says, you know, who are these people? These are they. It's, I think it's Revelation 22, 4, 5, 6, right in there. These are they who have, who wear the name of Jesus on their forehead. Who, who are these people? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Where does that happen? At the Eucharist. You get what? You, will you suffer the baptism that I'm baptized with? Okay, you'll suffer the baptism I'll be baptized with. That's what Jesus says. What baptism is that? On the cross, Jesus is baptized in his own blood, right? You too at the Eucharist, baptized in the blood of Jesus, if you stretch the analogy a bit. Who are these? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, who have washed their robes in the, in the blood of the Lamb and made themselves clean. Who are these people? Who are all these people in heaven? These are they who have the name of Jesus on their forehead, right? So, you know, Chrysostom, once you've been baptized, you make the sign of the cross. Once you've been baptized... The devil can't look you in the face anymore. He always strikes you a glancing blow. That's the reason you'll survive. Why do you make the sign of the cross? Because it consolidates everything about Jesus and puts it on your flesh and protects you, right? 
So often, we're given to the things that defeat us. The truth is, we're the only ones who doesn't know how hard the Lord is working for us. The Father knows, the Son knows, the Holy Spirit knows. The angels know, pray for us, help us, console us, protect us, and in this last case, heal us. And we're the only ones who sort of disagree with that. It's the craziest thing. But it's a mark of being fallen human beings. Faith agrees. Try to agree with Jesus. Try to agree with the Holy Spirit. Try to agree with the Father. Try to agree with the angels who protect you. Try, try, try. Um, you'll be the better for it. All right. Um, you all good still? Now, the next thing is just um, I'm going to go to, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to gather a little biblical data, and I'm going to tell you how tradition arranges it. You can accept this or not. It's one way of making sense of it. Um, at least you, maybe you won't just have the, all this stuff scattered. So you go through the scriptures, and regularly you get these names that the church has identified as angels. So I'm at 18. Holy ones, watchers, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, ophanim. This is where the spinning wheels in Ezekiel, right? In Enoch. We also hear about the archangel who trumpets Christ's return. Seraphim, which literally means the burning ones, right? So these are the ones who are on fire in some sense. So you have whirling ones and fiery ones, and they have six wings and they chant and serve. That's Isaiah. Isaiah goes up to heaven, and um, this is what he sees. He sees these crazy creatures look like they're on fire with six wings, right? And then you have the cherubim who have, if you will, four faces, Right? In, in tradition, they've had four faces. And so these four faces then are interpreted as the four apostles, sort of the, 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 the imagery is carried on in the apostles, and then those four faces are what's on the lectern, remember? Matthew, the winged man who goes you know, quickly. Uh, you know, Luke, the ox, kind of um, the, uh, the, um, uh, kind of the blue collar. He's the lunchbox guy. He's got to explain everything because it's not to the Jews. Matthew, Mark, what's up there? Can you remember? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the lion, yeah. Um, and then also the eagle, St. John, right? Soar, his gospel is, is sort of soars above. Um, so, you know, these things get picked up all through Scripture and even come into architecture. They're, these things are difficult, Right? What does it mean for something to have four faces or to have eyes that look in all directions at the same time? What does that mean? We don't even actually know how to describe that. What does it mean to have, you know, you can kind of imagine what that would be like and how frightening that would be. And then, in some sense, consoling because something is always watching out for you. Yes? What does it mean, especially since we know that angels are material? Yeah, they aren't material, but the problem is, is it'd be so boring for you if you met angels and you'd have to, you'd be like, it's like your guardian angel that you talked to this week. It's nice to meet you wherever you happen to be, right? So they take, they can, they can appear as material things, right? And even exercise material force, right? How does, how does a non-material thing slay human beings, for example? How does it destroy human beings? You know, these things are difficult to, this is, you know, you're almost getting to Spock and mind melding now, right? And you're like, so... Uh, but in some sense, this is, this is where all this comes from, that, that you can be affected, that ideas are so powerful, that thoughts are so powerful. Um, I'm trying to, when people come uh, to talk to me sometimes, I try to figure out, you know, the voices that they hear in their head, is it their voice or somebody else's voice? You know, I have a running conversation with my head. I process internally. 
I had the most beautiful day yesterday because I went home from new members class at 10.30 and sat quietly till 8.30 without any no. It was the, uh, regularly in the day. I was like, it's so wonderfully quiet. Of course, inside my skull, there's all sorts of stuff going on, right? And it's always the voices that you worry about that aren't your own or that ask you to do things that are clearly antichrist, right? So, for example, technically, when, when we say you're tempted by the devil, the world, your flesh, really, which is which? Well, in one sense, it doesn't matter because they all, the devil, the world, your flesh all pull you away from Jesus. In another sense, it might be consoling to you. I have people who are very guilty about, I meet people who are very, very guilty about what they ascribe to themselves as I'm constantly tempted by this. And, and one thing to sort out is, is it really you? Or is it somebody talking in your ear? Or if you're non-material, is it somebody who's sending thoughts toward you? See, you see how we're so given to material. You can figure out that if I move my tongue right now, that somehow it gets to your little eardrum, but you actually can't see anything in the middle. How is it different for me to think and think, right? But this is how angels classically, you know, this is what we mean for people to be mystical or for people to have visions or understand. Not everybody's given to this, right? But it's very difficult, you know, because Lutherans say, hey, you've got to be a little careful with people like this because they can have all kinds of wild notions, take everybody the wrong direction. And so we always say, you know, it's the scripture. It's Christ in the scripture. That's not what we say. On the other hand, you can't work so hard as to say none of this exists. You almost become a materialist yourself, right? So kind of put things in perspective. And it's helpful for you. You know, are the temptations from you or are they from Satan? Sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter in a sense because a sin is a sin is a sin. On the other hand, temptations aren't a sin. Jesus was tempted, but without sin. So if I say to you, hey, Michael, let's, right? It's a temptation, but if you say, in the words of the angel, in the name of the Lord, I rebuke you, right? There's no sin on your part, even though there's a sin on my part. I sinned by, by tempting you, but you don't sin just because I engage you. And so people, you have, to, you have to split this a little more finely because otherwise you end up being guilty for things. Come on, this is catechumenate. No sin, no guilt. You start to be guilty for things that aren't really sin, and then you're weighed down by this. You feel horrible all the time. You feel as if you can't proceed in the Christian life. It's, a, it's, another, it's an interesting way because even if you don't give in to the sin, if you give in to the despair that comes with temptation, that ruins you too. You can see how all this stuff just sort of bundles up on top of you. Now, how much better it would be for you to say, I'm baptized, the angels surround me, I go to the Eucharist, I know what's true, I know I'm a sinner, I confess everything, forward I go with Christ, with the angels surrounding me. Let's go. And when you sin, you quickly confess that and are forgiven and you move forward. And, you know, when you're tempted, you say, well, this is going to be difficult, but Jesus is with me and he's given me his Holy Spirit and the angels are praying for me and they're also protecting me. And here's a good word from scripture. And I carry the Eucharist inside me and the name of Jesus is on me. The odds are in my favor. But I'm afraid that's not how we think. It's difficult to think that way. Or John Kleinig, where he says, you know, a billion things happened good to you today, and you worry about the four things that didn't go so well. Please? Yeah, I've often wondered why Joseph had visions of angels, but like Mary or Peter's in the prison, and the angel comes and stands in, in front of them. Is there any hierarchy from a visitation? I mean, which one you got? Some people get 
fleshy angels and other people just get visions? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Some come in a dream. Mary says, so Joseph, St. Joseph, comes in a dream. The angel comes in a dream and says to him, but dreams are a very common way that the rest of the world makes sense of their lives. We don't, we don't, we're, we're a little nervous about that, but dreams are a common way in other, in, around the world for people to have access to spiritual things. Um, you know, Mary seems, it's, it seems to be, you know, tea time for Mary, right? Middle of the day time, right? You know, it happens in all different ways. I don't know. And sometimes, you remember the one you talk about in the jail, remember? The angel comes, lets him out. He goes to the, the angel disappears. He goes to the door. He knocks on the door. Do you, do you remember? Can you remember what they say? The maid opens the door and looks at him. What does she say? No, no, no. Not you're jumping ahead. It must be his. Yeah, it must be his angel. That's what it says, right? That's weird because, like, right now I'm looking at you. I'm thinking to myself, man, what if your guardian angel, what if there's two of you? What if he looks just like you, man? I mean, this is the kind of thing that can frighten me, even when I'm not dreaming, right? So, no, read the text. It says, he opens it and it says, it could be, what if, it could be his ghost, but it could be his angel, right? right? So what does that all mean? There's just so many things we don't talk about when we're, but we should, because it makes the world a richer place. This is not to make you superstitious. This is just to let you know you are not alone, right? There's a lot going on all around you. Yes, my boy? all of Joseph's messages so It is very interesting. Yeah. If there's a guy that doesn't get enough credit, um, it's Joseph, right? I mean, that's a you know, it's a weird. Uh, I mean, he's a, that's one amazing guy, Saint Joseph, right? Um, yeah, it is interesting that he's not undone. And he wakes up and does what he's told. It's just, you know, it would be fun to meet all these people. They're, they're better than I am. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Joseph, mother, uh, um, father, stepfather to Jesus. Well, I, are, were you talking about the other Joseph? New Testament Joseph, okay, yeah. In a dream. The angel comes from a dream. And the, right at the beginning of Matthew. What's that? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. You see, it's not weird. You know, it's not. It's how things kind of work. What we're nervous about, what we're nervous about, and rightly so, is when people say, "I had a dream, and here's what all you people should do," and it doesn't look anything like. It looks like Jonestown and drink the Kool Aid, right? No, seriously. That's what it, lo- it always. Ta- when it starts to look like that, you're like, "Okay, fun time's over." <laughs> we're pulling the plug on this. Okay. Now, um, so I give you these other ones. Now, this is maybe. Um, these may be a little more interesting to you because I think you get to these, or maybe if you're like me, you get to Ephesians one twenty-one, so Galatians, Ephesians one twenty-one, and you start to read this, and then you're like, now what did that all mean, right? So he's talking Ephesians, he's talking about which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him at his right hand. And then he throws this in, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, which is in the age to come. What in the world does that mean? Like you're just kind of stacking things up? Or um, 
Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians 1.16. Look, he does it at the beginning of Colossians 2. Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This is the coin press, right? He's pressed out. You you look at Jesus and you see what God looks like. Jesus is the image, visible material, of the invisible God, the firstborn from all creation. That's what we're going to do next. Only begotten firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth. Okay, that's what we're doing. Visible and invisible, that's the creed. Whether, here we go, thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities. Like you're like, what? What's the difference? What are those things and what's the difference between them? All things were created through him and for him. Okay, so there's this guy, Pseudo Dionysius. Now, you don't have to swallow this, but there are people smarter than us who have thought ahead of us. And this has got to be accepted in different forms in the church. That you basically have angels arranged in three groups of three, right? Three, three, three. So um, here they are, seraphim, cherubim, and thrones. And thrones now you see spoken of in different ways. So if you read what we just read and you read that with Revelation, you talk about the elders on thrones all arrayed around the Father. The church has put these two things together. This is justice. This is authority. This is order restored, Right? So you have these seraphim who you met in Isaiah, they're fiery and they take care of the altar and they're always praising. The cherubim who protected the, the Eden and um, you know, look in all directions at the same time. How do they do that? And the elders, this is kind of the high level, kind of first three. Then beyond this, dominions, virtues, and powers. That's kind of interesting. Um, these strike us more as how we talk about as virtues. But they have some living significance. They were understood to be angels. So the dominions are given to beauty and order. The virtues are giving to signs and miracles. And the powers are giving to enforcing um, order in the cosmos. Okay, ready? So three, three, and then three more. Principalities, which we talk about having a principle of a school. We can talk about a principle as a, as a thing, a virtue, but also a principal, which is you know, it sort of fits together. These are rulers who guide nations. Now look at this. All the way in eighth place. I mean, they are not going to make the football playoff in eighth place, right? <laughs> Even if they win out, they're still in. This is where archangels are all the way down. So what you have seen, if this is right, you've just seen just the very tip of the angelic. And it's the sort of thing that when the archangels appear, it's like whoosh. You're, you're just undone by this, and then you're better, and then all evil is... You see, just the very, very little bit of God's power in these angels, kind of at the eighth level down, and below that, your guardian angel, right? I mean, basically, buck private, right? This is just somebody new, right? I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure you would have liked a colonel or, you know... I mean, who knows? But this is, this is sort of... Now, now, here's the thing. You don't have to, you, don't have to, you know... Hold your cards and letters, right? I mean, the thing is, is you read through the scriptures and you come across these things again and again and again. And like you, people through the ages who have read through the scriptures say, what in the world does that mean? And what happens is you have guys who are very smart and they start to trace pre-computers. Where does this show up? Where does this show up again? Where does it show up? Look, it shows up at the very beginning. It shows up in the middle. It shows up at the end. And they start to stack things together and they say, with more or less strength, it looks like this. I'm just giving you this so that when you come across things like the beginning of Colossians or beginning of Ephesians, 
you sort of don't just blow that off when he goes all above powers and domains authorities. I mean, when he says that, what he's saying is, it's not just above human beings who think they're the end-all and be-all. He's above all the beings in the universe, visible and invisible, who were created to exercise his will, and some went badly, and that caused this huge war, and it will be a cataclysm at the end, and still you, way down at the bottom of the food chain, little brother to the angels, you know, lucky if you're in place number 10, you're still going to be okay. And more than that, they'll take care of you when things go bad. That should be the message that you should be taking if you read Revelation and get scared to death and can't sleep. Right? When things go badly, all these angels are on your side. Right? And so you get this great thing from St. Paul. Be strong in the God and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I mean, if it was just like politics, it was just people, that would be okay. But against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers, over against the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a great reason to say your prayers, right? And so um, what evil always tries to do is isolate you. People get lost in the isolation. You're easy to pick off when you're alone. You've watched those um, National Geographic things where the circle the wildebeest when the, you know, and then there's always the one outside going, and then it doesn't, they they always say things like, this is going to be hard to watch, and then they watch it, right? (laughs) Yeah, see, that's you when you give in to evil. I mean, when you're isolated, this is why you have to come to church real honestly. The reason you come to church is because if you went all week thinking nobody likes you and you're weak and nobody loves you and nobody cares about you, you've got to come back to church and find out how wrong you actually were. St. Augustine said that good is when everything is held together and evil is when everything breaks into little pieces. And the devil always tries to break things like a church or a family or a couple or parents and children or a nation or cities or nations. The devil always tries to break things apart and ultimately tries to get you alone. I can just tell you from experience, people are most vulnerable to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to bad behavior. Pick, pick what you like. They're most vulnerable when they're alone, right? It just is just the way it is. If you have a friend with you, if you have a spouse with you, if you have kids with you, you would never think to do that. But when you're alone, that's when so often things go bad. So um, try to remember you're never, ever alone. Um, Gosh, Bruce, if I listen to you, I'll never get done. Go! Lucifer was an archangel, correct? Say it again. Lucifer was an archangel as well. Seems to have been at that, it seems to have been at that level. And I guess the way I look at it is it's a two-to-one battle. I got two versus on my side versus one of the devil. So you know what? A lot of more, I got two angels. If you can hold on to that, you're going to be in great shape. Um... You know what, I'll start with this next week, but the last thing I want to talk about, and I gave you this last two pages out of a book. Um, basically, just let me, I'm going to preface it by saying this. We'll look at it next week. There's a reason why the church didn't just make up worship as it goes along. There's a reason that the church, you know, through the ages, wasn't like four hymns to warm up and a pastor who talks to 40 events and another couple of hymns to calm down. The church understood itself as a reflection of heaven on earth. In community, of course, 
in, in, in morality, yes, but also in worship. And I give you these last two pages. Just kind of look through this this week. We'll start with this, but I won't spend almost any time unless you want to next week. But just look at how what we do on Sunday morning looks just like Revelation. The point of Revelation is that we do what they do. We mimic heaven. In so many other ways, we say we mimic heaven. We want to pray. We want to praise God. We want to worship. We want forgiveness. We love the Eucharist. Look, this is what goes on in heaven. Of course, all the other stuff is in Revelation about the vision. of, But Revelation basically breaks down to this. Confession and absolution, the first three chapters. Then about half the book. The rest, the, then, then the rest of the book is divided in half. The first half is given to the word, scripture. You hear it over and over again, being read by the angels. And the second half, the Eucharist. Which is exactly what's going to happen in 12 minutes downstairs. We're going to have a first short bit where we say, we're damned sinners, and Jesus says, I love you, I forgive you. And then there's going to be a part where we read scripture and hear a sermon, and then there's going to be a part where we do the Eucharist. What we're doing downstairs in 12 minutes is exactly what they're doing in heaven over and over and over and over and over again, right? So it's not as if, I mean, the kind of the final thing, you can't just make up Sunday morning, well, you can, but to your poverty, okay, to your poverty, you make it up as you go along, and especially put the pastor at the center of it, which is what when you have three songs and three songs and a pastor in the middle for 45 minutes, you have missed the point. Because as I've often said to you, I can give you a bad sermon, but I can't give you a bad supper. Right? I can give you bad words, but I can't give you a bad word if you just read the scriptures. Right? I don't forgive you. Jesus forgives you. Through me, of course, yes, but it's Jesus who forgives you. Jesus who speaks to you. Jesus who gives you the Eucharist. And here it is going on in heaven. So the reason we do what we do, you know, we, we live in America and we think it's just a free-for-all. We can just do whatever we want when we come together on Sunday and call that worship. Hey, not so fast, right? I mean, of course you can do what you want. Then you don't say other people are sinful. It's a very open question about what's best, however. And if you just read this, just, just observe how piece by piece by piece. I mean, he gives 20 examples here of things that we do that are is what's going on in heaven this morning. Okay, got to go. Love you. Um, next week, I've given you the, here's what I want you to puzzle on next week. How can Jesus be both God and man? What does that mean, right? Well, how can Jesus be both God and man? What, is, is he one person? Is he two person? Is he one nature? Is he two nature? Is he one person kind of put in a blender and mixed up? Is it two natures picked up? Does he have a divine will? Does he have a human will? How does he do that? What does that mean? Did he really die? Can God suffer? you'll notice that the creed about Jesus is longer than the other two bits put together because it's how God comes to us and it's the most disputed and complicated and yet still it's hard to understand it. We're going to try to do what it means for him to be the only begotten son of God. Okay, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Hey, sign up for the men's retreat.